pretty much be able to talk just about anything. So. <laughs> and there's Jay with the stealth button again. What I was right on time. It 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 flipped over at eight o'clock, and I was like, bam. I, I had it down. All right. You, you are running it, dude. Here we go. Do the intro. What? What? Well, hello, everyone. <laughs> hello, Joe and Anita. Joe, I think we're going to have to have words tonight. Katie said that you've been uh, harassing her. I don't I don't know what's up with that, but I've seen the videos. I, I wouldn't mess with her, especially when she's got uh, sharp objects, sharp instruments. <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome back to Spilling Ink. It's another... Uh, it's another Saturday night, and I just got back recently from Urgent Care, uh, which is kind of like a miniature emergency room, if you don't know what Urgent Care is, because my uh, one of my kids had some friends over tonight, and they went out for a bike ride, and one of them got hurt on the bike ride and uh, you know, chewed up their leg pretty good, so I had to go up to Urgent Care and meet the, meet the dad up at Urgent Care, which is never what you want to do, but, uh, they, oh. but he's fine. And they've already been treated, and they're they're back here continuing the party. So, uh, so not not too bad. We lucked out with that one, and so I just figure everything else is going to be smooth as can be tonight too. And Katie, it's because I know you're really interested in this type of show. Oh man, Joe's talking more smack. He's feeling he's or something. I guess I guess guess got something got something going on there. Uh, but yes, Katie, Heather and I have been watching a lot of um, treasure hunting type shows. And, and it's not just like looking for a pirate treasure. It's like digging for gold or or most recently we started one that's um, digging for opals in Australia, which is fascinating. They're so cool. And then we just started today the Dino Hunters show on Discovery Plus where these guys are actually out there prospecting for dinosaur bones and they sell them. Like wow. this needs to be my life. How is this not what I do? <laughs> it's amazing. They're like pulling up triceratops horns and stuff. It's it's pretty incredible. So yeah. So that's kind of the big news in my life. What what about yours? I mean, do you guys have anything interesting going on? Well, wait, this I'm is spilling not... ink. The show. Did do we already say that? <laughs> no, we didn't. Oh, just just we, just went, we just kind of zoom right into it. <laughs> <laughs> So I've got dinosaur bones on the mind, okay? <laughs> That's okay. I, I've got trying to stay alive on the mind. I, I took my teenager out for her first freeway lesson today. and That's exciting. That was fun. Adventure. Was fun. Yeah. yeah <laughs> when you get out of the car and you're kissing the ground going, thank you, we made it. <laughs> if you ever want some excitement in your life, there you go. <laughs> oh, oh man! Take somebody to the oh. freeway that's never drove in the freeway before. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, that in is a van too. Scary. We're not talking about a regular car. We're talking about a mom van. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's it's funny when when I was sixteen, I couldn't wait to drive, so I was on the road as soon as I possibly could. But two of my four kids have no interest in in being on the road. Um, and I, I think part of it's anxiety and the other half is just like, eh, I just don't care about it, which is baffling to me. But at the same time, I guess it's, it's less worry for me because I worry about myself on the road. I don't want to have to worry about them out there traveling by themselves. <laughs> yeah. And we have snow here, you know, you guys don't have snow, you know, it's not like you're going to have a heat blizzard or something that's going <laughs> to cause your car to go up the road. <laughs> at least not yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. 
Oh yeah, yeah like LA was fun when they were what? I said at the first drop of rain, our roads become slicker than shit. Yeah, well, that's uh, yeah. I remember living in LA and having that <laughs> problem. Yeah. People still be driving right behind me. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's rainy day. <laughs> no, <laughs> no joke. Here in Texas, driving. it's like a whole complete story, completely different story, just because of the we did have snow. Yeah, because power was shutting off everywhere, and I'm like trying to drive in my car. My car just so. Did, did Texas get snow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. No. I'm not a snow that's, person. That's all we saw on the news for a week, even up here. And we were just all watching yeah. fascination as Texas shut down. We're like, damn, we've got like four times this much snow outside. But you guys don't have the infrastructure to deal with that kind of thing down there. No, they don't. They didn't prepare the infrastructure for it. Well, you know, we're more in tune with the heat than anything else down here. We never expect that kind of that kind of weather to hit. Uh, I think uh, the only thing I know about it was like the high, lowest temperature I've seen that it went down through history, going through the history records was negative 11. Oh, wow. That is but really that's cool. What, even, even like around the 1950s or, or older, somewhere around there. So They've been hit a few times, but not in modern times. So with the new infrastructure, with the electricity and everything, they were like, whoa, what's going on over here? <laughs> we need to shut everything down. And I guess they said there were like two, like few seconds to five minutes from like it like completely destroying the grid and saying, oh, we're going to be down for like three months. I was like, oh, my gosh. It's like, don't do that. I need my electricity. I need my internet. Moving back to L.A. Oh, well, Heather and I have been talking about, because we've actually been talking about maybe moving out west in a, in a couple of years if we get our finances straight, because we, we really want to go out there. And uh, and she actually found a hobby farm in New Mexico, New Mexico, that's on 20 acres of land. But get this, it's set up to live completely off the grid. Uh oh. You know, uh -huh. it's, it's like solar panels and rainwater collection. And I was like, you know, they don't get rain. Um for one thing, we, we, we need water for all the uh, emus that I want to have. Um, and <laughs> I got to have my high-speed internet. That's like my thing. I have to have <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's a must. <laughs> that has to be a must right there. It's like <laughs> That's what I was worried about. I was like, oh, no, it's going to turn off. What am I going to do? I'm going to go crazy. Okay. To do. I need my internet. <laughs> I'm, not, well, I'm not attached to the rest of the world. Well, be, before Weirdly we get enough, too much, coming uh, from an introvert. Before we get too much further, we really should pay homage to our uh, our sponsor tonight, the the great and wonderful and all powerful WJR Parks. Thank you so much for <laughs> sponsoring the show, WJR. You really are the best. It's wonderful working with you. Katie and I both appreciate <laughs> you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on the other side there i can just see him right now all that shit talking see what happens uh, <laughs> well you better do a, a proper sponsor thingamajigger there katie before joe loses it <laughs> all right well even though he's sitting in the comment section just talking I'm wondering what we're talking about <laughs> 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 we do need to send a, a big thank you out to Joe because he does run Go Indie Now and Go Indie Now supports indie authors and artists of all types. So here we go. Message from Joe. Hello, everybody. I am Joe Compton and welcome to our channel, Go Indie Now. This is the place that celebrates indie artists and indie art. 
and we do so by producing several shows that either air on daily, weekly, monthly, or seasonal scheduling. And within those shows, we aim to educate and entertain you. If you're, if you're an indie artist who's trying to figure out how to do this, this is the place you need to be. If you're an indie artist who's looking to promote and doesn't have any avenues and, and is tired of the grind, this is the place to be. Because remember, it's always time to go indie now. It's kind of it's it's kind of funny. As soon as that starts playing, now you all can't see it in the in the audience, but but we can see it. And and our little thumbnails, our little icons down below. As soon as something else pops up on the screen, like Joe talking, all you see is Katie and I puffing on the vapes with big clouds of vapes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do that on, i do that on the other show too even though it's it's only um audio you can hear the vapes going so as soon as i ask a question and they start to answer I quick mash the mute button i'm like <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness well we have a wonderful guest for you tonight the lovely and talented miss katie slidus katie how are you thank you so much for coming on the show today thank you for having me it, it is wonderful to be invited i'm so glad to be here well, and it's not often that we get a supermodel on the show to talk to us, so we appreciate it. it it's really good to meet you. All right. Well, let, <laughs> let's get on with this. Who else do we have here? Well, we have Ron Jeremy's best friend, WJR Park. <laughs> <laughs> I still love that picture. That That is the best oh, is glamour shots picture right there. I love I'm it. Working, I'm working on getting back to the that to that look so <laughs> hopefully in another couple months with this uh <laughs> about to say the coronavirus diet <laughs> carnivore diet carnivore diet <laughs> okay <laughs> you, might, you might lose some weight on the coronavirus diet too no no you gain weight, you gain <laughs> <Yeah>. weight. <laughs> uh, well, i actually and lost then, 20 pounds on it actually it's truth. <laughs> Well, the carnivore diet, is that kind of like the paleo diet where it's like meats and nuts and things like that? Well, so far it's all meats, high fat meats. That's all I, I've been eating, trying to stay away anything from sugar. So anything okay. that okay. has to do with, um, I guess, carbs, sugar, sweet tea, yeah. Cokes, anything like oh. that is what I try to I know my, my favorite things, but you can eat cheese. I mean, that's not a carb, yeah. right? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I uh, forgot what my nephew had told me about... Um, a uh, type of butter. Uh oh. Yeah, I think Katie oh, abandoned us. Joe got really mad at her, <laughs> and so she jumped ship. <laughs> <She's>... <laughs> oh, Re Rebecca! Rebecca popped up here. Uh, Rebecca Jonesy says hello, loves. I'm chilling with Joshua and Diana. Uh, Joshua and Diana, if you can hear me. Um, I just wanted to say hi. It's been a long time since I've uh, talked to either one of you, and I, and I kind of miss you guys. Um, I really do. So, uh, Rebecca, if they can't hear me, if you could pass along the uh, the message, maybe uh, give them a, a hug yeah. for me. That'd be great. The return. <laughs> the return. The return. Well, WJR, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've been on the show before, but maybe uh, some people don't know who you are just yet. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> uh, well... Uh, William Ramos, WJR Parks. I am an author of uh, these lovely 
series right here in Raven Universe. Uh, that's my main character right there. Uh, uh, I guess it falls under dark fantasy, paranormal, and uh, urban. That's <laughs> what I mainly concentrate on. Um, vampires and historical fiction, I guess it would also fall under there since it takes place in the revolutionary times, uh, the Revolution War in 1776. Uh, other than that, I do photography. See right behind me, <laughs> and uh, I, I web, I web designer. I guess that's about it. That's everything I can think of about myself. But yeah, Here, photography I'm, writer. I'm gonna oh, make everybody big disappear. Big, I'm gonna make you big. Oh. So I, can see <laughs> I was like, I can't see it very oh. well, but it's the the three right prints. There. There's a couple there, right? of there's a couple of uh, out of the way. I can't. I don't know. I get confused with these. Okay. Beautiful women artfully posed with cool shadows and light. Yep, and that's actually the uh, post two posters are part of this novel right here. Oh, cool! That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. And then uh, I don't know if you can see that computer screen right there. I drew and designed that with Photoshop and three D three D program right there for one another Ooh. cover that I eventually plan to have out. Oh, that's cool. Well, I have to say, you're pretty. You're a pretty impressive person. Did we already talk oh. about the uh, new podcast? Or or the beard? Oh yeah, that beard is glorious. Oh my goodness, it is <laughs> yeah. just what. Get us anyone else down to here. Well, and and the the way that it's it's kind of digitized, you know, from you know on on the uh, the I magic so, of the yeah. internet, it kind of it almost like it sparkles a little bit. It's amazing. I love yeah, it. It's, gl it's glowing there. <laughs> it's all the gray. <laughs> So tell us about your new Amazingly podcast. enough, five years ago, five years ago it was completely black. Now it's gray. That's what happens when I moved to Texas, I guess. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, podcast. Yeah, me and uh, Janelle wasn't able to make it tonight. Um, she just recently sold her house, but uh, she's my co-author that actually is taking control of Leonette, this particular character right here. And uh, she's written a short story, that novella right there. And we're currently working on a story with the Lobo brothers, uh, these twin paranormal detectives. Um, she sold her house. She has to go look at other houses because I think she says she has to be out within a month. So <laughs> that's our main her main concern right now she was supposed to be on tonight but her agent has a few more houses to look at that's certainly an important so, thing to do that's where we're yeah at i right think now. so <laughs> uh, right now the housing market but uh is crazy. yeah our podcast mainly do what now said so right now the housing market is crazy yeah i don't know how it is over there in fresno right now either so yeah i guess it's a good thing that she at least has some houses to look at so <laughs> But yeah, that's where our podcast is mainly called uh, Writing Raven Universe. Uh, we were trying to figure out a name, uh, something I might have to figure out in the future because for the ISPNs I use for my books, I have it as Ravenverse Publishing. But then yeah, I like lately I saw that a uh, another person took up the name with Ravenverse Publishing. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out who had the, the website off first and i think i did but yet i'm hoping <laughs> nothing comes about with that i know 
I don't know, maybe I might have to change it, but I changed the name on uh, YouTube either way. It used to be on the safe side to Writing Raven Universe because on Tuesdays and Thursdays, what were our plans to do the podcast? Tuesdays mainly focusing on our world, but yet still keep uh, giving tips out to brand new writers. Uh, writers basically just barely joining, trying to break into the uh, writing industry who have never had any kind of experience with it. Uh, because I know I have a lot of people who come up to me and ask me, how do I go about publishing? How do I go about um, writing a story? <laughs> you know, what do I need to do to make my characters pop? And I'm like, holy cow, okay, well, I can go through an entire series of lectures, I guess, to tell you, but... So we decided let's try to make a uh, a podcast and hopefully uh, we're kind of in the process of growing still. I think we got finally up to six subscribers now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so hey, we're still growing. We're, yeah, we're, we're getting up there slowly but surely. Um, so, so on, on the podcast, you do you mostly you you talk about your you talk about your series and then also advice for new writers. Is that what? Do I understand that right? On Tuesdays, we do. On Tuesdays, we try to incorporate um, our characters. I think like Janelle had read, uh, read a um, excerpt from, uh, or a couple of excerpts from the Leonette no novella that we have, just like describing as far as slow-paced scene and a fast-paced scene. Uh, if you want a fast-paced scene and you have more action into it compared to where you're describing details of a particular area, like the trees were green, flowing and dancing with the movement of the wind. <laughs> yeah, it's slow. And then you have, oh, now she was shooting this monster and she had to race up to it and kick it in the face. And so it, 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 she read a couple of examples like that. Uh, so that's how we kind of incorporate our, our ideas because we have 10, 10 years of failures and learning. So we try to at least give them a little bit of our experience and what we learned throughout the throughout our <laughs> writing journey. Um, and then on Thursdays, we have it where uh, we have, uh, well, right now it's been Thursdays and Sundays. We never actually expect it to be Sunday uh, uh, to have a show there, but we kind of plan around with it. But on Thursdays and Sundays, we invite authors to come by uh, and give us a little bit of their ideas on, on their story, their world, and then share their tips on what they would give to new writers just barely trying to break in because we know there's a lot of writers out there who've probably already been there for, for about a year to two years or whatnot. Um, and you can kind of learn quite a bit within those <laughs> few years. Uh, but I know I have a lot of people, like I said, they come up to me, they've written a book, they don't know what to do with it. So hopefully we can at least get it. We're playing around with it, but more of a, I guess, foundation and structure on how we can actually present our ideas a little bit better. Uh, as far as right now, we're just kind of playing around with it, testing the waters and see how we do. That's cool. What, uh, what kind of advice have you heard so far in doing this podcast? And has there been anything that surprised you? Um, who was it? The first one, Bobby Nash was one of the first uh, interviewees that we had. Um, a lot of it was pretty much on how to do, what do you call it? I guess from what he, well, he has a lot of titles and I guess he actually markets for, for the people that he worked with. But a lot of, he concentrated too on going to actual shows, I guess, in a sense 
going to shows and talking to people and actually, I guess, answering their questions and being right there, being present. And I know you can't do it. He said you couldn't do it in a, a course in 2020. So uh, that was one of the main things that kind of shut down. But I have no experience at all whatsoever in doing those kind of shows. So he gave me some pretty good ideas and perspectives, which I want to try to do now. I want to really try to get into the shows and maybe get my books out there. Maybe that's a different avenue of undoing things uh, compared to I know a lot of writers are usually more introverts, so they don't get out. I'm a, I'm an extreme introvert, so it takes me a while to to uh, to get used to certain things in order to present my my works out there. So usually, I just want to hide in the room and uh, write a book and say, "Hey, there you go, <laughs> enjoy it, be good." Yeah. And uh, I think another one is like I think he's the one that mentioned about newsletters and. I guess being a little bit more personal with them, in a sense. Uh, it's been a while since we did that show, so I'm trying to recollect what exactly he had said. But like newsletters, I know I'm trying to do right now, and hopefully going into actually doing these expos or shows where I can actually present the works in, in front of actual people and be with them. Um, so that's one thing that I had learned from them. Um, well, and I think that that's who's the other? Really well, of course, Katie. We had Katie there. So. <laughs> We had Katie for one of our guests. She gave uh, Janelle really loved her uh, her tips, and she wants to buy her book for sure. She oh. she was even telling me today. She was like, "Oh, I'm so, I, oh, and I wish I could make it." I'll tell her I apologize. I really like that girl. She's she's really good. She had really good tips. <laughs> and so, and we'll I can't even back. remember. Don't we'll worry, we'll get her on. We'll get her on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I so know. Uh, I know we talked about. I, I didn't know that Katie wrote books too, besides the modeling. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, no, no, right? She has many surprises. <laughs> Especially that particular book, uh, Write the Damn Book. Is that what it's called? <laughs> that's it. Well, I think that yeah, so uh, that's, that's... <laughs> what, what you were talking about, about uh, actually getting out in front of people, I think that that is. Um, really useful advice, and not all of us can can do it. Um, you know, I'm an extreme introvert, introvert, except for when I'm on, and when I'm on stage, I'm on. When I'm yeah. on this, I'm I'm on. But I I think that for me at least, because I've been to you know a few writing workshops in per in person, and I always, you know, they're not as easy as sitting at home behind your computer and just watching watching something, but. I feel like there's a lot more of a connection with the speaker, with the, with the author. And I'm much mm. more likely to say, you know, say, you know, William was up there giving a lecture and I, and I listened through the lecture and then you're signing books afterwards. I'm much more likely to go up and say, Hey, you know, I want to, I want a paperback or a hardback of this. Then, you know, if I'm, I'm just sitting back watching spilling ink, it might just be something I'm doing in the evening and I won't think twice about it, but, but yeah. yeah, so that's really good advice. I think being able to get out there and, act, and actually connect uh, with people is is really important. And that's what what I found it to be one like as I was when I first started writing and people started explaining to me that I was going to have to connect with people. I was confused. I was like, why would people want to connect with me? I'm not. I mean, I'm writing about the. I wanted to connect with the character and the book. Yeah. I want to hide in the room and write these stories and. Because, you know, a lot of my friends know me when I was young. I was an extreme, extreme shy person, right? I was like, it was hard for me to even speak and uh, and create friend friendships. 
and uh, in my 20s, I started forcing myself to break myself out of that because weirdly enough, it's a contradiction. I wanted to become an actor, which is going against my whole entire philosophy of, okay, I need to hide in a room. And um, so I started forcing myself to uh, run businesses and have to sit down with like CEOs or anything like that, because they can get pretty scary when you're trying to make deals. So that helped me to kind of break away from that shell. So every single aspect in my life, I, I forced myself to, uh, to break the, I guess, shell of shyness and introvert. And the other thing too is that, hmm? I said, you're, you're forcing yourself to go against your nature to, to accomplish Yeah, exactly. Things. And so with writing, I eventually got to the point where, okay, well, if it's gonna have to be where I, I talk and present myself, then so be it. Um, because I was trying to find what the psychology behind that was, uh, why two readers like connecting with the author. And uh, me and Janelle were kind of talking about that and trying to figure out what the cause, cause of that is. And I think they just want to, I don't know, maybe they associate you with parts of the character. Uh, that world kind of lives inside of your mind. So they want to be a little bit closer because they love certain characters yeah they can't really get close to those characters so they have to try to associate with you in order to figure out what those characters you know in a in a sense of i guess pretending to be you i guess those characters are, are they're they're thinking you, you know about those char characters personalities and whatnot and they're that's their way to connect well i agree um, with that completely you know i and I, I think many of us do it i know i do um i just i finished I finished reading the Nevernight Chronicles by Jay Kristoff, um, who kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Joshua uh, because he's this giant <laughs> of a man. Um, but uh, I finished reading it, and I was so connected with that series, with those characters in those books, that immediately afterwards I went and found the author's website, and I was trying to look up if there's a, a way that I could arrange an interview or get him set up on here or, or you know, where he does uh, does appearances because, you know, it was, you know, I, I feel like I'm connected with the author because I connected so much with his with his work. And that may not make sense or it may make a little bit of sense. I'm not really sure. But I think that when you really love a book, um, you do. You, you feel a little bit of connection to the person that, that, that birthed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to get to know them a little bit better so you so in like i said in essence you kind of connect with the characters through the actual author because he's the creator so he should know <laughs> what those characters and personalities are in a way um and sometimes maybe they also want to try to get some secrets and what's going to happen in the future as well but yeah for the most part yeah they to try to connect to get a little bit closer to those characters since they really yeah. can't do it in real life perhaps they can do it through you and right. um so you enjoyed those books. I, you know what? I tried to read the first chapter, and it was one of the most different purple prose, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. that I read. And I guess I fall within the extremes where either you like it or don't like it. <laughs> and so yeah. and I couldn't. The, the first I couldn't get yeah, into the first, it. The first chapter um, was really weird, and I think it was he wrote it that way on purpose, just to be weird. And I don't feel like it needed to be in there. It kind of felt like a prologue where it could have just been cut out. Um, mm. But after that, it was just 
man, it was just incredible. The whole freaking series. And I, I was like, I was super, super bummed when I finished it. Uh, huh. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yes, I might have I, to give it a, another try again. <laughs> I would give it, give it another shot, man. Cause it is uh, honestly, it's, probably one of the best fantasy series i've ever read um i mean oh, it was wow. so damn good uh, but lots yeah, i know of i heard blood. a lot of praise about it and i was like what are these people talking about <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, the first chapter <laughs> yep the first chapter was weird i don't i don't blame you there but yeah but lots of blood and lots of sex so as long as you're huh. not squeamish about those things you'll be okay <laughs> yeah oh, that was, speaking of which yeah that was another thing like me and katie and uh, janelle we're talking about in the show trying to figure out where books fall in forest like genres <laughs> because i think for me that's been one of my biggest uh what do you call it problems in a sense because uh of course it goes with the psychology and what specific book cover falls within your genre as well because i designed all of these right here but the way i designed these i think are okay the way i designed this one it's a little bit uh confusing to probably readers because mine is not a young adult and it is dark fantasy and and uh, uh, urban fantasy mixed with that historical but uh, i do have a lot of sex scenes and 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 gruesome gruesome action in there uh and so it's not young adult but a lot of even some of my buddies that were from uh, barnes and nobles were suggesting well you should probably take away all the uh sex scenes, all the gruesomeness, and make it into a young adult, you'll probably sell it. And I'm like, well, then it goes away from what I was thinking that's what the character for Raven is. Um, I had this particular idea of the character, and if I do that away, it doesn't, I don't know, fall true to what the story is for me. And I don't want to be confined for Raven, at least, to that particular uh, genre. <laughs> I want it to be, you know, write freely. Uh, for the rest of my characters, I'll probably end up like I know I got a werewolf series coming out, and I'll probably put that one in the uh, young adult because, of course, <laughs> you know I can do that and enjoy that writing. But if I don't enjoy the writing, I won't pr put it in a particular genre. And uh, I think that's one thing that like me and Katie had talked about, and also about the uh, uh, design and uh, I guess presentations of the covers for books. You got to get that right, and a lot of writers don't usually understand that. I think is because writers usually try to, I mean, the writer, of course, has to have a say in cover design. Uh, of course, they're going to do that. But you're the writer. And well, uh, this is my view on it. You're the writer. If you want to concentrate on writing, concentrate on writing. But find you a professional and a um, person who knows about the particular genre you're trying to get into. Um, and it has to be a professional because professionals should know as graphic artists what people are looking for in a book cover for that particular genre. Um, a lot of people say you should make your book cover different. It's not necessarily true because if you make it different, the people who are readers looking through that genre are going to look at that book and it looks different from all the other covers. That's like maybe it's not part of that genre. So you have to find you an actual graphic artist that knows about that particular genre and can design a book that falls within those constraints and uh, doesn't scare off people thinking that, oh, well, this is this is not the book for me then because I'm, unfortunately, people do judge a book by the cover. It's just the, the, the ideas nowadays. It's a new view in, in the life of books. Um, That's and, 
book covers and synopsis is the other thing. A lot of, um, because well, I think I had told Katie that I had spent, I did, I went ahead and did it. I, I set aside $3,000 and I decided to test all these different services. And I spent $3,000 trying to figure out all the different services that might work in marketing. Weirdly enough, the only ones that actually turned and gave good return was like things like BookFunnel, uh, things like uh, Amazon ads. Facebook, if you have the money, will have pretty good returns if you do it correctly. But everything else from Kirk, Kirk uh, what's it, Kirkus Reviews to uh, all these editorial reviews, nothing returned back. I mean, I was paying three, $400 for those. Um, the, uh, what do you call them? The ones that say they can market you, you have to be careful on these ones to make sure that they don't break amazon's rules but uh you can have people try to help you market your book on twitter facebook and and whatnot all those services didn't return very much because they're so blasted out there that they just get lost within the uh, noise of other marketing material that people are putting out and um then i uh the ones that worked too were the synopsis writers like uh brian cohen and brian meeks they they have a pretty good return um and then i do my own book covers but i'm sure that if i would have spent the money for uh i had a i know a couple of people out there they're pretty famous in doing their book covers the book covers would be the biggest things to do in return and so i figured out that the level of marketing comes from book covers synopsis is your number one before you even start marketing, you have to get those correct. Of course, your story has to be correct and polished and whatnot. But as far as the actual outside of the story, book covers and synopsis is going to be your main top priorities. If you don't get those correct, you're not going to make any sales. And, and uh, well, you probably will. You probably will from like people who are fans of yours. But if you don't get away from that inner circle of your closest friends and readers and you want to have that circle spread out, you're never going to get higher than that unless you fix those. It's like, a, it's like a, I don't know, like trying to figure out what's wrong with somebody who's sick. You have to go in there and kind of figure out and do your A-B tests and whatnot. So, when okay. a little now, tangent there. You mentioned uh, Brian. He does uh, classes, I think, twice a year on Facebook to help people figure out Amazon ads. Uh, Cohen? Yeah. Brian Cohen. Yeah. 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 He, uh, he sends me his newsletter because I went ahead and paid the, uh, the synopsis fee for him to have his team or himself write the synopsis. Uh, and I did that in order because I've read his books and I've read, uh, Brian Meeks as well. I've actually, I actually wanted to try Brian Meeks style of writing synopsis, but I went with Brian Cohen because I couldn't get a in touch with <laughs> Brian Meeks anymore. So, um, I did that and I decided to um, use it as a way for a template because I was trying to figure out how to write my own synopsis, but I wasn't so sure because I have, didn't have anything to, of course, I have something to base off the examples he uses for other people's books, but I didn't have anything to base it off. Like, what about my story? I wanted to base it off of that. So I used that story to see how close I got when I did my own synopsis following their rules and see... And I was awful. I would, I would, I'll say I was, I mean, I, I was, it was better than I did my first synopsis, but I was still off by a few things. Um, I was still off on trying to get the emotional triggers and, um, and 
trying to create that emotional trigger from the beginning to the end for the synopsis is the main thing you want to do for for it because that's what's going to hook the readers in there and be like man this is pretty cool it got me excited and this is just a synopsis well heck i want to read the whole story so well can i ask that's important and and anita clarified she said three to four times per year is when brian cohen does his uh amazon ads class so if you can get onto that it is worth following just to get an idea of how to work with the system because he provides so much information including how the the formula to writing hooks for your book which is very very helpful that's awesome well and i I'd, I'd like to know how how the synopsis writing uh, how how that works when you hire someone to do that you know does that person actually read your book and write the synopsis or do you have to give them an outline and they kind of cobble something together how how does that work um I don't know how Brian Meeks does it. I know Brian Cohen has a form that you fill out. Um, they ask particular questions. They don't want to actually read the book according to that forum, because if they read the book, I guess maybe it creates certain biases. So what he wants is yes, kind of, uh, kind of interestingly enough, kind of the synopsis of the story as well, but uh, give the story synopsis, give the main characters, uh, of course, the protagonist, antagonist, and then um, I forgot all the other questions as far as the theme, uh, time period, I think. Uh, um, major conflict, personality of your main character. And then, of course, the overall story. Uh, I think he wanted like a three-act or four-act structure. You break it down into four-act structure in order to give them the idea of the entire uh, story. So I guess that kind of like a, a treatment for uh, the entire story. And from there, they'll decide to gather the main highlights of the story and put in the, or, or create a uh, emotional uh, synopsis going the, through the different rungs of what's going on. And uh, the way Brian, well, I think Brian Meeks does it the same way. There's four levels or four uh, sections that you do the synopsis. You gotta have your, uh, he heading, of course, to introduce the, what the story is going to be about. Then you have the, I guess, the first paragraph, the introduction to kind of quickly tell the story. Then in the middle, it's kind of like how the book is in, in real life. Uh, you have the middle where you kind of try to keep on going with the story, but hopefully put in your emotional triggers. And you have to try to create that uh, tension as you're going down the story uh, to keep people interested and hook them in. And, and then at the end, you're gonna finish off with either a, a line or two of what it falls under, what genre and time period maybe. Uh, and, um, and let me see, I think they finish off with one line saying, buy it now or get it now in order to do the, uh, what do you call that? Um, the call, call to action. Yeah. Um, and, so yeah, it was it wasn't really a hard process. It's, I think that mainly a lot of uh, writers, when they're trying to get into it, just don't realize what the entire process. When they're new new writers, brand new writers, they don't realize what they're getting into as far as the process. And you have to really ask yourself as a writer, what do you want to do? Is it something that you want to do as a hobby? Is it something that you want to do as a business to actually make try to make a living off of? 
or it's just something that you're going to try to do on your you know spare time when you're off work uh, that you want to make just a little bit maybe side money uh, once you just I think that's the, the actual first step you have to ask yourself is what kind of writer do you want to be and then you can go in the process of enjoying how you write and then focus on your goals for me I would love to be able to make a living and have a sec or one of my passive income streams to be writing. I love writing. Uh, of course, my main focus in life has always been movies and acting. <laughs> That's the reason why I'm trying to get back to LA. But writing is like a demon inside you that just trying to break out and won't le let you sleep unless until the stories are out. So that's my thing. So if it's, that's going to happen, I do enjoy writing it, but I would love to make money off of it. So my focus with writing is to study everything I can in order to get to a point where I can make maybe... You know, my goal would be anywhere from 3000 4000 a month just to, you know, just to get me there. If I can just get there, I'll be happy. Um, so, I mean, I know my goal for that. So that's what I'm trying to achieve. Cool. And that is a job in itself. Like a lot of people don't oh, realize yeah. how much work goes into the production of a book because the writing part of it is one element. Then you're producing it the cover art, the marketing, the editing, everything that goes into getting that book out there and making it profitable. It, it's, it's a full-time job. So it should be making you income. Yeah. And that's what I said. Like I said, I mean, I've already spent 3000 just to test out all the different services out there. And I made a list of which ones work. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, um, you know, um, besides the book cover, and the synopsis your your next thing in order to sell them of course is your reviews because your reviews help to uh you know they talk for you instead of you talking for your book the reviews are going to talk for you and hopefully you have some good reviews and they'll get the people to finally click that button but yeah that's why i'm so kind of adamant just because as a graphic artist myself like i'm kind of adamant and telling everybody you got to get your book cover your book cover everything starts with that book cover that's the first thing they're going to see besides maybe a uh maybe a little synopsis <laughs> maybe a little line of your book but for the most most thing that's the thing that gets people to stop and say "Ooh, what is this or ga gather the uh the attention of, of, of their eyes gets locked in there. It's like, ooh, okay, let me see what this book is. Yeah, the, the, okay, now let's the read it. is true. <laughs> People do judge a book by its cover. And if a book cover turns somebody off, they are that much less likely to even give a chance to the synopsis or anything else. Yeah, I was just huh. in the library yesterday uh, grabbing some uh, new books. And so I'm looking at the, uh, the new arrivals, which are, of course, all they're all, you know, big five publisher, uh, you know, New York Times bestseller stuff. And that's that's what I look at. Like, I've got one right here that I was reading. It's uh, Preston and Child, The Scorpion's Tale. Ooh. <laughs> but I looked at it and I was like, OK, I recognize the authors. So that's that's check one. I like the color, the cover. I like the colors of it. I like the the font on the, the title. And I thought it was a cool title. I was like, OK. And I didn't read the synopsis. That's all I needed to know. You know, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, and it can sometimes be that simple. Other times, you know, if I don't know the author, you know, I'll take a good hard look at the cover and then I'll, then I'll read the synopsis. But, um, but yeah, that, that cover, it really is everything, you know, having a kick-ass yeah, cover. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the main things that has to capture, weirdly enough, because I've been designing for over 20 years. Um, I, um, 
and I've been doing photography, and it's weird what I see with with people. Uh, I don't know how to explain explain it. I guess it has to do with something with psychology. But what I see with design and with photography is almost the same idea. Is when I'm doing photography, I've studied it so much, I know how to make the picture look good. And other photographers will know what kind of edits I did in order to make it pop, in order to get that depth in a picture, in order to make it look like 3D-ish almost if some people look at it, right? But then you have a person who's barely started charges $20 in order to beat your $150. And people are like, oh, wow, this picture is so awesome. I only paid $20 and stuff. And they have no fundamentals of photography or lighting behind it. And I'm looking at it and it's like, well, that I could have taken that with the, uh, you know, a, well, a phone camera, right? <laughs> and um, which... Of course, I can teach people how to take good pictures for phone cameras if I wanted to. But in the, it, but it's weird that that it's mainly the fundamentals. It's actually about the fundamentals and how the picture looks. And I call them neo buyers. Neo buyers, like the ones who are willing to spend, like actually, I know people that spend three thousand on a portrait because that portrait has, well, you know, they, the the photographer does the edits and they do it really good. It looks like an actual, you know, fine art. And they have a fantastic frame on it. So these people, neo buyers, are willing to pay because they know what kind of work it goes into it. They understand something in their back of the mind, maybe not sub, not consciously, but in the subconscious, understand that this book, or not book, but this picture is better than this picture over here. Who from a person who doesn't understand the fundamentals of lighting, bring that down to just normal everyday buyers. Normal everyday buyers, you have to understand if they want them for just having a memory, which they can just take off with take with their picture you know with their phone and then who actually want a little bit more artistic uh flair behind it which for weddings that we do we they usually more want a, an artistic flair behind it compared to just memories and some of them are going to be candid and just memories but in the back of their mind when it comes to that artistic i think that something exists that can define the difference between a good picture and a bad picture and for book covers i think it's the same thing there's millions of readers out there, but you'll probably get, let's say, 100 or 200 readers to say, oh, this is the best book ever, even though the cover sucks. But the problem with that is you'll never going to have your circle of influence grow beyond those 100 or 200 people because odds are, depending on how many people are looking at your book, you probably will have 100 or 200 people. But in order to gain exposure beyond that, you have to be as good as you can be. And I think a lot of new writers fall into that trap saying, oh, well, it was good enough to get 100 to 200 writers. Now I just got to market more. You can market as much as you want, but that book, as long as it's not the best that it can be, and every part of it has a, not a master, but a professional graphic artist, a professional editor, a professional synopsis writer behind it, you might only reach that 200 or 300 maybe most 500 people. But if you truly want to make a living on it, you've got to reach into, you know, thousands and hundreds of people. And, uh, you know, with book covers, I'll see where somebody will design a book cover and it doesn't have that, me coming from a graphic design background, it doesn't have that professional look. Uh, maybe the rule of threes or the you know and it 
maybe the texts are off. Maybe the text look like something that, you know, every other person would use as a text. And they say, oh, that looks badass. Well, it might look badass to you and maybe 100 people. But does it look badass and professional to these other people who in the back of their mind know there's something wrong? Something in the back of their mind is itching and saying, well, this book doesn't look as professional as it could be compared to what I've seen that my brain recognizes all these other genres and all these other um, books that I've seen printed out by professional uh, publishers. And that's what you're, we're fighting against. That's what we have to be competing against. You have to make that book cover as badass as you can be. Well, and I, I think that um, not and not everybody has that radar. But you know, if I, you know, my, and my wife and I are both professional photographers, so you know, I think there might be a little bit of a difference. You know, we we've both gone to school, but you know, if if I'm looking through a bookstore um, at book covers, you know, my mind and it, and it's mean to say, well, if I see something that looks subpar, I'll just automatically think, okay, that's cheap. You know, that's cheap. That's cheap, and mm -hmm. and I'll just gloss over it without giving it much of a second thought, which probably isn't fair at all because they might be fantastic books, but that's what registered into my head is like, okay, yeah, it's a, it's a shit cover. It's probably a shit book. Um, and I said, it's so mean to say that because I know how damn expensive book covers are. We can't all <laughs> yeah. afford that, but, but, you know, and I think you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, the, the mind just can, you can tell when something is, is a better product. You know, yeah. when you see something and it just looks well put together, professional, everything is everything is right. Then you're like, OK, this is this is pretty solid. I could investigate it further. Yeah. And I think it's because readers know. Like everybody makes money and gig work. I mean, like my gig, gig work, if I design book covers, of course, I'm spending my time into it. But money is not really the object. Right. When you think about reading a book, if you're going to spend $5 or $20, it's because you want to read that book. Mm -hmm. Money won't be the actual object. Of what a, what writer, new writers need to understand is that when you want to buy a book, you're actually setting aside time. Time is what is important to people's lives. If I'm going to spend so much time on a book and I want to make sure it's going to be pretty interesting, but the first thing I see is something in my in my brain triggers. Well, the cover is not good enough or the synopsis doesn't look interesting. Something is off about the book and you're just glancing by. Then you're not going to want to have value, uh, put your value of time into that book because that's that time that you can never get back. Yeah. And if the book sucks, it's it's lost time. Yeah. And that that's one of the reasons that. Um, of course, it could work in reverse, but maybe you write a story and it sucks and you don't know it sucks, but you have a badass cover and a badass synopsis. <laughs> that could also well, that could also work against you, but then your name would be get out there. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what, and I'm, and I'm not going to name names because that, that would be terrible, but I've read uh, two books um, probably in, in the last three years. So it's not a big number that the covers were phenomenal. I mean, just out of this out of the park great covers and the books were just crap they were just oh, so freaking terrible and i and I, I felt i felt cheated i was like man this thing had the most badass cover ever and it, it's just this piece of crap and i wasted a week of my life reading this come on stop but reading then, 50 shades of gray jay <laughs> <laughs> well, you know 
honestly, you know, mass market appeal, those covers weren't terrible, but you know, I don't get those covers though. I really don't get the overly stylistic covers, like the twilight covers too, where it's like metaphors with images. And it's like, what is this? No, I don't (laughs) like those covers, but those books sell like crazy and people use that to justify their bad covers. Yeah. Well, and, and we were talking about, uh, uh, William, we were talking about the Nevernight Chronicles, which I absolutely loved. And I picked up the book on a by a recommendation from uh, Stacy Falak, who's who's been on this show, fantastic fantasy author. And she was like, it's it's one of my favorites. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. I grabbed it from the library and I looked at the cover. I did not like the cover because it it had kind of a a graphic novel or anime type of feel, which is not my scene at all. I was yeah. like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to, and I ended up loving it. So. But like I said, it wasn't a trash cover. It just didn't feel like my cup of tea. But I, I powered through based on the recommendation of a friend. And I'm glad but I see, did. But see, that was going based on your taste, but not necessarily word of mouth, on the cover. Though. Word of mouth is the best seller. Yeah, yes. word of mouth is yeah. the best seller as well. Uh, I, Twilight covers, I don't know. Is that the one that just has like a certain, like, uh, yeah. one, uh, one has like a feather too. with a blood stain on it? And it's yeah, everything it, else is yeah, black? They're, they're really like just metaphor covers with single images. It, it, yeah, everyone goes yeah. gaga I know for which them. one you're like, talking about. But uh, you, you know what? We, the weird thing about that is that it's the design of it is still actually falls under actual good design yeah uh so because i know you mentioned that you know a lot of other people try to justify it for their book covers but weirdly enough if their book covers are actually designed with like a lot of it has to do with font right uh if that font is correct and is placed correctly and then the picture Mm -hmm. is like you have enough negative space and positive space it is it triggers something in the mind i mean it's aesthetically oh, no, i get pleasing. the layout i totally get the layout but people will go oh well it had a chess piece on it i'm gonna stick a chess piece on my cover yeah because it looks like those covers no it doesn't you tried you didn't quite get this, you know, the same <laughs> thing well, I, I i i'm not gonna i mean we, we can't lend any credit to the derivatives because they're derivatives and that's that's what they do they you know but yeah. And, and font choice too. I, I got to like, these are sticking points for me because I actually, one of uh, the places that I, I freelance is on Upwork and mm. I had somebody send me a request that they wanted me to do their book cover and they sent me the images they want to use and, and the, the fonts that they want to use. And I told them this isn't going to work. And they're like, well, no, this is what it needs to be because this is, and it was like some Regency romance genre. And I went, Okay, you're trying to go for accurate period look with everything being super fancy, but you're not going to be able to read that font. The image is not going to appeal to modern readers. I mean, I listed all of these things off and they went, no, you just don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm I'm telling you what the market is going to expect. And you want to use an oil painting of a lady sitting by herself on a, a muddy brown background. Go ahead. I, but yeah. I'm not the cover see, artist that, for you. I'm sorry. Exactly. This will not work if you're trying to go after this genre. And that's exactly what I was saying is like, if you're the writer, of course, Name you're going to have, <laughs> you're gonna have a little bit. Of, you're going to have a little bit of say and, and the cover art, of course. Yes. <sighs> but to not have it where you want complete control. A lot of like um, 
there's like certain covers that maybe authors will want something picked out from the uh, from the a scene in the book, or they want to put in so many different ideas from the book into the cover. That really doesn't make sense. Do your, the whole reason for the cover is to grab the attention. Forget about what the scenes are in, in the book. That the, the story needs to tell itself when the people are reading it. Don't give it away in the synopsis and don't give it away in the book cover. The book cover's only job is to pick out what genre that book is in and maybe a little bit of an idea of maybe a character standing in the middle, uh, maybe a, a, a dagger being stabbed into somebody. But, you know, it'll, it'll get a little bit of idea. But the main I, uh, point is to grab attention and um, synopsis as well. So the main point is to invoke emotion, not tell the story. And I think with writers, they'll try to take more control and they want to become uh, attached to the cover and they want to become attached to the synopsis. It's like, no, no, don't become attached to it. Of course, have your say and where you want to steer it to in a, a little bit, but you can't have so much said that you impede on the creator's idea of what they know for the rules of that genre. And um, yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to, <laughs> it's no, it's really hard to accept when, mm. when, when you're the writer, when you're the author or when you're the musician or when you're the whatever, and you've created this body of work and now you're giving it over to someone else to do another part of the job that they know because that's their job. But it's, it's really difficult to to let go of that control, and I think that especially if you haven't done it before a couple times with your other books, but um, it, it's tough for people to accept. And I think that you're right that you shouldn't give up all control. I think that you should always have a, a say in things. But remember that when you hire a professional, it is their job to know what they're talking about, and they're going to do their job. You know, all you can do is give them what they ask for and, and help them along the way. But don't don't get in the way because you're going to end up screwing it up yeah, and just because we said like costly. yeah it, we you, uh we did an episode two weeks ago me and and jane talking about covers the covers that we love but we also showed our original covers back from 10 11 years ago and we started and we wanted to make our own covers or we wanted to go with you know cheaper options and you can see the difference and the difference was also paid for out of our pockets so it becomes a costly thing to fix later down the line yeah, yeah and yeah. oh sorry <laughs> and i was gonna say yeah because um the main job for an author once they're finished with their uh story is actually to find a professional that's the main thing that's where you want to do your research on that's where you don't want to let go of your your baby right you want to make sure that they know what they're talking about they know about that specific genre editor beat an editor or a graphic artist, you want to make sure that they know that particular genre or they know what they're talking about. That's the main job of the author once they're done. And like I said, of course, have a little bit of say where they want to have that cover go to. Because I think a lot of authors say, um, well, I like this cover. I love this cover. OK, well, you love it because maybe it falls within your taste of what a cover is. But your taste of the cover could be like a sucky taste. <laughs> it could be like. You know, like that's like some weird childish font right there, but I love it, man. That's gonna sell some books. Okay, <laughs> maybe to like a 10-year-old when it's supposed to be a horror I, story. But <laughs> I did that. I did that. <laughs> but, I fell in love with the cover redesign for an entire book series. We're talking four books that I recovered because 
I love the covers. And within <laughs> a year, I had to have them recovered because they did not sell. They did not hit the market the way it was supposed to be. They're beautiful covers. Pretty Little Werewolf? They were not right for the market. <laughs> was it Pretty Little Werewolf? No, it was... Uh, I, I still love those. I do um, too. No, it was the Immortalis cover oh, redesign. I got the, you. The I ones you. that look more like horror novels. Yep. They were well, gorgeous. They were very stylized. They were beautiful, but they did not target the right market. See, like, I know I had brought this one up when we had Katie on our show, but with this one, I actually redesigned five different times. Um, the very first cover was just Raven staring straight ahead on the, uh, at you and with a red background. But uh, this is not actually the final one because what I do is design covers, then order them, wait for them to come in, redesign them. And then what I did, I put them out like the Kindle versions I put out quickly enough to where I can try to see and do an A-B test. And I try to see which ones are giving getting more clicks on the on the what do you call it the ads. This one actually got more clicks, and then all I did was turn the feathers into uh, black feathers. Um, so I um, luckily I know how to, I, I you know I played with my own design, which I wouldn't suggest even even though I do it. <laughs> you always want to have a, a different eye to look at it, but I went ahead and tried to play it as much as I could in order to what people were reacting to the look of it. So I designed it like five different times. I came out with two main designs and I did an A-B test. And finally, this one is the one that won for right now. But more than likely, I'll probably end up changing it maybe another two years down the line just because mm -hmm. I want to keep up with it as my main book that starts all the series off. Well, and it's nice. Oh. Uh -oh. Wow, that was weird. We just lost Jake and that's oh like what happened goodness. to me earlier. My internet just popped off for no reason. I figured I was going to be the one losing internet, but <laughs> I, I agree with you though. The the cover it, it does tend to evolve because your covers after a few years will look dated, and if you're still trying to compete in the current marketplace, it, it's always good to do a cover design, uh, a redesign, and even big publishers do the same thing. Over time, oh, yeah. you'll see a, you know, a new edition come out with a different cover. And uh, that just helps continue to target the market where the market's at at the moment. Exactly. You got to calibrate with the times. And I think I know that I know um, a lot of people starting out just getting into writing don't have that kind of money. But it's something that you have to actually just work toward, get to that point. Because if you do want to make a living, like I said, you got to decide what you want to do as a writer. But if you do want to make a living on it, is something that I would suggest is working toward that because it has to be like a business. You have your, you know, you got to register your business and you got to have your positive negatives, your <laughs> pros and cons and your uh, profit losses, all that, just like a regular business if you want to make a living off of writing. Um, yeah, so you absolutely. have to get really serious with it. And and the, the client there or the potential client that I had that wanted to argue about their vision, I, I you know, I told them I'm not the artist for you then because yeah. I'm trying to give you what I know of the market. And I, I used a lot of examples to show it was currently selling in the marketplace. What, you know, basically the visual expectation just by doing keyword searches, you can tell exactly what comes up. So you're not targeting that market. You are going to stand out in the wrong way. And she had given me this big, long, just bitter email back about how she was right. And it's like, then go, please go find what you're, what's going to work for you. But I can't do that cover for you. I know it's not going to work. So I'm not the right person 
we're just not going to have a, a partnership here on that. <laughs> yeah, I've done that before too with design. I've, I've, I will totally like, especially with websites, I will totally refer another person for websites if they're not agreeing with what I'm telling them because I mean, that I've been doing for 20 years. So I have mm. to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so and, and no will involved. It's just, or no ill will involved. It's just, you know what, you were going to learn. And mm. I learned the hard way myself. I was stubborn initially. I thought I knew better. I learned the hard way. And so yeah. will you, dear author. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I was with my my editors too. You know, at first, when I first started, I was like, oh, I don't know. This, this kind of means something. I need to, that sentence and paragraph to stay in. And they're like, no, it should go out because it doesn't have anything to do to further the story. So what's that have to do anything with the story? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I just did that the other night. Another client of mine, I was editing their book and their second to last chapter was a perfect ending place. And so the last chapter I read through it, I'm like, why am I reading this? This is, uh, you know, 1200 words of nothing that doesn't interest me. <laughs> it doesn't tease me into the next story. It's just fluff and filler. Whereas that chapter before actually ended on what would have been the perfect note to continue on, not necessarily a cliffhanger, but it was a, a tease that there's going to be more. Cut this last chapter, get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. And that's like one of the biggest ones too, that uh, a lot of authors don't like doing is cutting certain scenes out there. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yep. They're so like, these are my babies. These are my <laughs> words. I can't cut them. You might have to, to make the story better overall. Sometimes you have to be willing to make those sacrifices. And, and a lot of times it's a learning experience. It's, it's going through the motions. It's trial and error. It's sometimes, you know, taking your lumps and coming back and going, yep, you were right. Let's fix it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the biggest uh, learning curve, I guess, is when you're trying to do your writing and then you get into another learning curve with graphic for your book cover and then your synopsis. But as long as you're learning, <laughs> that's yeah. the main point. As long as you're learning and not going back to the same ideas and moving forward, uh, I think, you know, you'll do okay. It's just, like I said, just figuring out what your main goal is with writing. Absolutely. And, and that's how your podcast is running right now. You're providing a lot of these tips and tricks from authors who've been there, done that, right? Yeah, yeah, we're trying to. We're trying to get uh, get it going and stuff. Like I said, we're still kind of playing around with the waters. And uh, I think I added where I kind of did an outline last time for uh, first person, third person, and omniscient um, POV, uh, trying to explain the differences. And I just made a little graphic or a list of explaining how I thought about it. Um, because most of the time we're kind of talking, talking heads, <laughs> of course, like a normal podcast. But That's it, yeah. Yeah, I want to make sure that at least we drive the uh, idea through and people are getting the actual point across. So, but yeah, well, Janelle, I know will be gone for the next month. So it depends on how I'm going to do it. <laughs> See how I'm going to move forward for the next month on how to interview people and try to get keep the uh, videos going on Tuesday, because usually it's just the two of us talking about an idea. Mm. <laughs> So All right. Well, we are actually well, running tomorrow. Time. Oh yeah. No, I was going to say tomorrow we have uh, Ed Sauter and Kendra Sauter. So uh, oh, we're going to do one. Of, I'm what do we'll do is we'll one. put your link in the show notes below, so that anybody watching on our YouTube channel can easily find you. 
Yeah. And that way we can kind of get some people over towards your show so they can you know, listen in on those tips and tricks <laughs> and get you some subscribers too, right? Yeah, that'd be excellent. We're up to six right now. All right. So tomorrow, Double at what time is the show going? Uh, four o'clock central time. All right. All right. We will put that in the notes. And then, of course, before we go, we do have to send a shout out to our second sponsor, Mistress Rebecca Dirty Jonesy. You will be entertained. And if you are listening to her Facebook page on Wednesdays, she is doing live readings and she is such a fabulous reader. I, I love listening in on her live reads and she's got some amazing books. You will absolutely be entertained. So thank you, Rebecca, for being our sponsor and helping keep this show going. All right. I can't believe we ran over. That was such a quick hour. <laughs> I guess we got Obviously, because there's lots to talk about, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we lost Jay. <laughs> Poor Jay. Hopefully he didn't uh, have a complete crash, but we'll chat with him later. I will make sure your show notes uh, with your link are down below as soon as we're done. It's going to be about five minutes to get those up. And thanks for hanging out with us. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, and next time, hopefully Janelle will join me. <laughs> Definitely. We'll, we will get you two back on. And to all our listeners out there, thank you for watching. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. That helps get the word out about our channel so we can get some more viewers and we can introduce more authors to you, which we will next week. We'll talk to you guys later. Have a great week, guys. Thanks for watching.